Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. This is the part 404 of my dream work analysis series with Geraldine Mattis. This podcast, wow, I don't even really know how to put it into words. It was quite profound for me and I think I didn't have the language often to fully express what it is that I was feeling or experiencing um, when she would ask me a question or even when I was just trying to connect with a dream. And as you'll uh, hopefully understand through the through listening to the episode, really it is because there is what we're exploring is this part of me that is that I don't know yet, honestly. And um, despite the work that I've been doing for, you know, probably many lifetimes at this point, it's coming home to that part of you that doesn't need to be changed, right? The paradox of like growth, healing, and, you know, the the proverbial work, and yet simultaneously reaching a place where actually you're whole as you are without having to to change anything. So yeah, I'm... I was pretty amazed by this dream and this session with Geraldine. Um, it feels like a beautiful conclusion to the fourth part of these of these episodes. Um, and really, one thing that's been so humbling throughout throughout these yeah these past four episodes is how profound it is to be guided and helped. I mean, we didn't even touch on that in the episode. We did touch on this chapter of me asking for help but truly how incredible it is to have the mirror of wisdom when it comes to navigating really anything in life but particularly dreams I think we or at least maybe I have this inclination most of my life that I can figure it out by myself and that you know (laughs) And it's not to say that parts of me aren't wise, but that the really the wisest thing is to not try and do it alone. And, at, you know, having done four episodes now, in this fourth one, I'm slowly, really fully starting to embody that um, there are things I just don't know. And there are parts of me that I don't know. And I am so here for the ride and the the opportunity to slowly start integrating these things and welcoming them in but that would have been truly impossible without um, Geraldine's guidance and so although there are many aspects of our life that can be independent and strong-willed and even heroic um, I think ultimately that the guidance of the wise old man in my dream, but really anyone who is wise in your life, who has experience, in this case for me, Geraldine, um, among others, are so valuable and so important to help provide us with a safe container to reconnect with these parts of ourselves. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as usual, if you have any comments or questions, I will post a link in the show notes for you to um, ask your question or comment and more information as well to connect with Geraldine. 
Bye for now. My dream this this session is quite long. <laughs> well, did you like, write it down? Yeah, I did. And it's not, it's, I mean, it's not crazy long, but compared to the others that felt more like a prominent clip that was vivid when I woke up, this, like, I remembered the whole dream. Mm -hmm. Or at least most of it. Um, should I just read you what I wrote down? Yeah. Or if you have, do, can you share it? Like if it's very long, just so I can kind oh, of yeah. track back. Do you have it written in text or yeah. in? I'll, I'll send it to you right now. Yeah. And then it's just by email you'll send it. It's on WhatsApp. Is that okay? Oh, okay. That's perfect. Yep. Yeah. It'll be easier to. That's not too... All right. So tell me the dream. Okay. So in the dream, I'm looking for a house to live in. And this woman, Katie Bowman, who I don't know personally, but I, I follow her work. She's a biomechanist. And I mean, conceptually, she's all about teaching people how to cultivate balance in their body in their physical, like, you know, through the biomechanics uh, of their body. So Katie Bowman and her husband and their disabled daughter, which she doesn't have in real life, but in this dream, she did, um, are trying to help me find a house to live in. And she knows of this cabin that's about an hour outside of town in this valley. And this particular valley has come up many times in my dreams recently, I would say in the past year in different ways. Um, it has a huge bend, like there's a main road and the valley, like the road cuts off and it's a huge kind of like horseshoe that loops back to the other, back to the main road. And so apparently the cabin is down in this valley and yeah, so it's down in the forest and he's a man with gray hair who apparently manages this cabin or owns this cabin. And so we go into town, Katie, her husband and her, their daughter, we go into town to find him and they're walking behind me and I'm driving a car and the road is like, it's super distorted as a road. Like it's, it's bumpy and, and very quite steep and um, yeah, like not muddy, uh, wet, but like, it's just like, uh, it's not paved. So it's quite um difficult to ride down and I can barely touch the pedal of my like the brake pedal of the car and the car itself is this it's a it's a strange looking car like there's no um roof it's more like the the base of a car with all of the like steering wheel and all but I can't really reach the brake pedal and anyways and so we're going down a super steep hill and somehow I get to this like more flat part of the hill but it continues onwards quite steeply and at that point Katie her husband and daughter go ahead of me in the car they're like pushing um the daughter in a wheelchair and I realize how dangerous it is to be going out like that they're in front of me now and I didn't really have control of the car so I decide to get out and walk because it feels safer than driving this insane car and um I remember in the dream thinking also how great it is that um Katie and her husband aren't stopping at life's challenges like because the, the the road is really absurd and the daughter is disabled and she's in a wheelchair but they're kind of just you know they're 
you're just going down the hill kind of without qualms and without complaining. And so I remember thinking how beautiful that was, like inspiring that they were just, you know, doing it. And so, yeah, I decided to walk too because the car is obviously dangerous and I don't want to hurt them since they're walking ahead of me. And then we get to the destination looking for this man and it's a, it's the university and it's my dad's university, not in like physical form, but in the dream, I remember thinking, oh, this is my dad's university. And, um, and yeah, we're like in the sports section, kind of just looking for this man, all different teams, all kinds of sports are practicing. And we're just kind of looking for the man. And then I wake up and when I woke up, I remember thinking like what stood out was, well, it, first of all, it felt like a very symbolic dream for some reason even though I just tried not to like interpret anything too much. And I was also thinking how, how funny it was. It was my dad's university. Like that's what I kind of woke up thinking. So the first thing that you thought of was this is my dad's university. Yeah. It's his, yeah. Uh, is it called the alma mater? Alma mater. Yeah. Yeah. It was his Your and father's alma mater. Yeah. And that's what I just kind of was on prominently in my head when I woke up of how funny it was that that was my dad's you know so somehow through all the convolutions of the dream you end up at your dad's university mm -hmm. and what was your dad's university about um hmm. I mean he went to Queen's University in Kingston in uh, Ontario I almost went to that school it was my I was debating between that one and the university that I went to. Um, what was it about? I don't really know. It's a really scholarly school, um, like really focused on like achievement. It has a quite a good reputation. Um, what was your father's faculty? I don't even remember. I think he did communicate like communications and I think it was a major in communications and maybe some marketing English mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. And he sailed there. I remember he sailed a lot in, in university. Uh, so your, so your dad's university is a place of failed scholarship. Mm. I'm not a hundred percent sure what that means. Well, what what does it mean to fail in scholarship? Um, not sure. What do you associate with scholarship? Scholarship is like the formal like scholar you're not really supposed to use the word to define the word but like the dignified aspect of learning maybe the dignified aspect of learning so you associate dignity with scholarship maybe mm -hmm. i so know is it, it more dignified to learn in a prestigious university than to learn on the streets of life well, this is quite funny because I actually don't know when I had this dream, but I very recently got in a little argument with my, my parents where I told them that I, 
I don't know of any degree that is achieved in university that um, is like su supports inner peace in the long run. That that created a bit of tension between, between you and your parents. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I don't think it's that black and white. Like there are a lot of, you know, but maybe it even is kind of, if I am completely honest, because even the, the artistic and those kinds of universities that have arts programs, I still kind of subconsciously think I believe that they tend to stifle creativity as opposed to really promote it. So, mm -hmm. mm. Um, there is a, a picture. <clears throat> Russell Lockhart talks about it in his book, Words as Eggs, but I can't remember where the university is, but he talks about a picture in a faculty club of a lot of professors sitting around at the table with all their books and notes in front of them. And they're all skeletons. I mean, yeah. Is that speaking to the fact that by the time like these books become used to teach people, the information is somewhat like perhaps no yeah. longer living? Yeah. Well, I think it speaks a little bit to your point about inner peace. Yeah. That knowledge alone cannot bring us inner peace. Mm -hmm. And that the patriarchal mind overvalues Mm -hmm. scholarship, learning, knowledge mm -hmm. in with respect to inner peace, pursuit of the soulful things of life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's much more important to be a professor than it is to be a housewife, for example, mm -hmm. or a daycare worker, you know, those sort of despised jobs usually associated with what women do. So Somehow, though, in the dream, you're meeting the territory of your father's failed scholarship. But what? So if we look, what about is what about the university is his failed scholarship? That I don't understand. Well, that's where he failed in scholarship. That's what your dream is pointing to. This is the place where my father, where the father, failed with scholarship. I don't so know. That, it, did I say that he failed? Yeah, you said that he failed there. Oh, no, he sailed. Oh, he sailed. Oh, my goodness. I've got to clean the wax out of my ear. He sailed there. Different. I mean, I mean, I could. Yeah, I mean, I could probably go there. But no, he also sailed. Mm -hmm. He sailed and went to school. Okay, I think he well, was. I think good. he was much more into the into the sport and aspect of school. But. Yeah, which is why I mentioned it. Like, I don't well, maybe, even really recall his major, but I do remember he was really into sailing there. Uh, okay, well, maybe we're not so far off the track. Maybe, mm. uh, you know, yeah. psyche caused my ears to hear something mm -hmm. that is really... So when someone goes to university and is primarily there interested in the sports and the recreation, the activity, typically they're not also that interested in the scholarship. Right? Mm -hmm. it's sort of, it's a kind of a stereotype almost. Mm -hmm. So perhaps there is something there about mm -hmm. the idea of how does, how does one balance scholarship with other activity? Mm -hmm. So like, how do you keep those skeletons alive rather than mm -hmm. just these bones? 
And it's interesting because I, I, in Goethe's Faust, one of the main problems, do you know the book Faust, no. a tragedy by von Goethe? It's probably worth a read. It's one of the most seminal tragedies of the, uh, really the patriarchal mind. Mm. In uh, our time, it's very important. Um, he, his main problem is he's, extremely intelligent he has multiple degrees he has degrees in science and religion and art and philosophy and he's completely miserable he's surrounded by his books in his library and all of his degrees and scholarship and he is completely miserable mm -hmm. because he has no family no love no he's become very sort of hard towards himself in the world because he knows so much but he doesn't know what he needs to know to have peace of mind. Mm. So the idea of where do we find peace of mind is a really important question when mm. we're pursuing what we need to pursue in life to develop ourselves. Mm -hmm. Knowledge is one of the things we need to do to develop ourselves. But should it come at the cost of our soulful self, our mm -hmm. peace of mind? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the end of the dream where that kind of pressed on you. So that's something you can kind of consider to ponder on your relationship to scholarship and what would prevent you from going to a university because you wouldn't want to trade peace of mind or how could you find a way in university working on a degree mm -hmm. and maintain your peace of mind? Mm -hmm. You know, does it have to be either or? Yeah, and in many ways, I feel like university provided me the resistance I needed to kind of rebel against mm -hmm. that concept, which was really my relationship to school my whole life, even as a child. Like, I was telling a friend, like, I was put in the hallway for asking questions during religion class. And so, yeah, I find it interesting that some people conform to it. But for me, it's always more acted as a catalyst for being like understanding how the system fails to generate inner peace. Because like when curiosity, if we can't, I mean, it really reflects our times too. When you start asking questions and people get angry, like that, that to me is a very, um, it's a pretty big problem. Right. So what you're really saying the intention is, is truth. Yeah. Well, we want to have knowledge and truth, but really what happens is we colonize institutions of le learning, higher and elementary, mm. colonize the minds of people with what is the status quo for that society. Right. And so a, a child like yourself and many others who do not fit into that milieu will be punished. Mm -hmm. Because they're not they're not allowing their mind to be colonized mm -hmm. by the thoughts and ideations and the whatever perceptions of that particular culture. So your experience of school was learning what you didn't like. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I majored in politics, and I only voted once in my life. Like it made me sure that. The system itself is what I feel is broken as opposed to 
um, the other way around. Right. Mm. And there's those who see that the system is broken and they start to do things to fix the system. And then there are those who live on the edge of the system. Mm -hmm. And I would see, seems to me that that's you've chosen to live on the outskirts of the system. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, of course, that's our choice. You know, like some people have the muscle to wrestle with mm -hmm. politics and stuff and others don't. Mm -hmm. But what is it like to feel like the only place you belong is on the outskirts of society? I think I've always kind of liked it, to be honest. Like there's been something from a very young age that I've always been drawn to just making my own decisions, even though sometimes they're not like on the fringe and sometimes they are, but this like, yeah, I think it, it feel like it's always felt good in my body. I know for some people, like particularly in these times, like a lot of people are facing, you know, choices that are going against the cultural norms and the government recommendations or the, you know, there's a lot of highly politicized beliefs at the moment in the world. And I've spoken to a lot of people who are, like devastated that it's wedging, like putting a wedge in between them and, you know, the, the society or their family. And for me, it's, it's more been reassuring that I can, you know, be curious about the world, but ultimately honor myself for what I feel to be true. And of course, knowing that that evolves and changes, like there's, you know, I've, I've had to abandon many things that I believe in the name of like my own evolution and growth, but that, yeah, I think I've always quite liked that I am a, a strong willed friend, typically on the fringe of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that suits you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the dream starts off with you looking for a house mm -hmm. and you you need help to look for the house mm -hmm. and the people you choose. And I know the Bowman technique and the people behind it. So I know who you're talking about. It's really body integration mm -hmm. and they really literally body peace, physical peace. Yeah. The body in harmony with it. So, so the help you need to find your home is somehow connected with the body, mm -hmm. finding the peace and the harmony in your body. So what is this home that you're looking for? I mean, typically I would associate my body with a home, but I like with the, you know, proverbial home, but somehow it feels for me more that this home is kind of the next chapter of my life. And particularly something I've been learning recently in terms of the help piece, which I didn't really even think of when it comes to this dream, but um, in the dismantling of this, you know, inner manifestation of the patriarchy, I've realized how resistant I've been to asking for help and how, you know, as this, you know, living on the fringe, strong, independent woman, 
I've typically been one to do things by myself for myself, you know, not needing any help. And I think deep down, pretty deeply conditioned that to ask for help is a sign of weakness. Um, and as of lately, that's really kind of come crashing down. I've been taking so like I've been dismantling that wall. Um, yeah. And I've had some pretty powerful lessons when it comes to the concept of like help as, you know, the feminine, like relying on community and like the matriarchy as opposed to the patriarchy and like coming together in community and trusting and opening up. So, yeah. Yes. Not asking for help is sort of part of the, sort of one of the characteristics of the, of the archetype, archetype of the hero. Mm -hmm. he, he's all on his own. He doesn't need help. He withstands everything all on his own. Mm -hmm. And we see that in a lot of Hollywood movies. You know, the hero never really asks for help, just does everything, doesn't even need to yeah. pee or stop to eat. Or right. A <laughs> visit with a family friend or a friend. And so I've never seen a bathroom break in a Hollywood movie. I no. know. I keep waiting to see one. You know, when when is, you know, <laughs> Jason Bourne going to go pee? Um, so even though you've chosen to live and you're still looking, your psyche is still trying to put you outside of town, outside mm -hmm. of the collective, right. you are still connected to the patriarchal culture through this aspect of yourself that is reluctant to ask for help. So you're still identified with the heroic on some level, mm -hmm. even though you reject it. So somehow this is your shadow. What mm -hmm. you reject is your shadow. Well, I, I think as of lately, it's shifting. I mean, I've come to meet that shadow aspect of myself. I would say with quite open arms um yeah it's been like it almost feels like dropping to my knees at that shadow like the concept of like how I've I had lived my life like that for so long um but it's definitely new it's not like you know it's not like I've have that figured out or fully integrated or whatever, but it's definitely something that I don't, I no longer reject. Mm -hmm. mm. So, so you're experiencing that this heroic need to not even think about or not ask for help mm. is beginning to reconsider that stance. Greatly, like yeah. enormously. Yeah. And when you do ask for help, you experience it like dropping onto your knees. Mm. I don't know that it's when I ask for help. It's more like, how can I describe this? Like, I think the realization of how powerful and, and helpful and healthy it is to, to ask for help, it's been kind of like the dropping to my knees is almost like the relief, like, you know, when you get like, 
you know, saved or whatever, or something like, and it's just like, finally you can let go as opposed to having to kind of stand strong and tall and like, you know, on guard and watch. It feels like I can finally, um, I don't know, trust life maybe like there's, um, like the, the dropping to the knees as a surrender. Right. Yeah. And does it also feel like humility? Mm. Enormously. Yeah. Enormously. Yeah. So if Jason Bourne, in the middle of his racing around the world, doing his heroic thing, <clears throat> were to stop the cameras and say, just a minute, I have to go pee, what do you think would have to happen for him? Would it be that sort of experience, like the dropping to the knees, being humble enough to actually be human and need to pee? No, I think there would probably be a lot of shame. <laughs> based it would be on, shame. I think yeah. based on the I like the story of who he is and what he represents. Yeah. It would be shame. He would be failed somehow as a hero if he had to go pee. Yeah. And do you feel shame sometimes? you get to the point where you need help? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I have yet to really completely understand my relationship to asking for help because I've had these conversations recently with a few friends and they've said like, well, you ask for help. Like Geraldine, you're an example of someone that I would ask for help. And there's other practitioners. There's a lot of people that I do ask for help, but I can't really put it into words that there's like two layers to help mm -hmm. or probably many layers, many, many layers. But there's the kind of layers of help that we ask for that are like probably socially acceptable. And the deeper layers of help that I probably don't have language for of like, mm -hmm. or completely It's more intimate. Yeah. Mm. Well, a house is a pretty intimate thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like our business life, our social life can be, yeah, maybe we can ask for help in our business. That's actually not sort of verboten or shameful mm -hmm. necessarily, but in our intimate sphere, that can be more, a little bit more shameful. Mm -hmm. And, so you're asking for help or you've got the help of people help, trying to help you find a home. Mm. Do you feel like your home is that intimate sphere? Um, the home in the dream? Yeah. What is your relationship to home? Yeah. I mean, what comes up is it's, it's the body, but even perhaps more like maybe even the parts of myself that I don't quite know, like really the intimacy, because I'm, I'm still quite open, even in the realm of relationships and like my inner world. But I think what feels actually intimate and like the home within the home maybe is, are these parts of me that I'm getting to know probably the shadow and, um, yeah, the probably parts that do carry shame um, that I've yet to even meet, right? So I think there's mm -hmm. there's that aspect of that I was saying those two layers that they're 
there's things, I mean, I haven't figured it all out. <laughs> My Capricorn self loves to think I have, but I, I fundamentally know I haven't. And, um, yeah. So do you believe that people can figure it all out? N no. <laughs> but no. you feel that you should figure it all out? <laughs> um, yeah, that's still a, definitely a dance for me. I know, I know, like, I don't know what the word is, maybe logically that it's impossible. And part of me really enjoys the journey of self-exploration. Um, but yeah, I, like one thing I've been actually talking to quite a few friends about recently is that like when I feel stagnant, and it doesn't last for long, but let's say in work or anything in like in any aspect of my life, in my movement practice, if I feel like a period of not being inspired to grow or explore, I, that does not feel good in my body. Right. And, and I, I, I like rationally know that like that's built into what you were asking, right? Of always trying to figure it out, like just sitting with that and letting it be does not feel good in my body. Right, yeah. I would suggest that that is the heroic archetype in you. Definitely. It, it gets restless unless there's some sort of event or quest or something. To or purpose, 100%. And yeah. it's funny because it can relax. I can like, you know, I can do very little and, but it's still, there's a missing piece there that is definitely the heroic that needs there to be purpose in everything that I do. Yeah. Yeah. So even though you live on the fringes of the patriarchal society, mm -hmm. it still lives within you mm -hmm. in terms of this, this heroic drive to, to accomplish, to do, to be worthy, to, and mm -hmm. on and on it goes. Mm -hmm. And yet your psyche says, yeah, you need to find a house where the wholeness of you can live. Mm -hmm. That speaks like deeply. And you cannot do it on your own. No. You need the help of people who are, who have deep knowledge and understanding about what the body has to do with all of this. Yeah. Not just the heroic mind and the machinations mm -hmm. of the mind. Mm-hmm. So tell me about this valley that has come up in many times in recent dreams. Mm -hmm. Where is it located? What is it like? It's in a like foresty area and it's like free of, like there's no power lines and um, I like no electricity that I can even think of in any of these dreams. It's like, it's very lush and alive and like um, full of water, you know, rivers and um, yeah, it's like vibrantly alive and peaceful at the same time and kind of free from modern innovation that has led to kind of the, um, the disruption of like the natural cycle, I guess, right? Lights and electricity, which I, totally think have their place but not in this valley <laughs> and so how does that landscape contrast 
to the heroic self. Mm. It's like perfect as it is. There's no need to innovate or make it better than it just is by simply being. And nothing needs to be saved? No, definitely not. Nothing mm. needs to be saved. Yes, mm -hmm. because nature has its own mechanisms for keeping balance and harmony. Right? Mm -hmm. But um, as human beings, we interfere with a lot of that. Our hubris tells us we can do it better than than the forces that create the nature of us, you know, we yeah. can do a better milk for babies than breast milk. Uh -huh. And I mean, it kind of that, that theme carries into later in the dream as well, where I'm in this car that I have like no control over, right. It's the innovation and they're just walking peacefully. Um, and I do realize I'm like, this is dangerous what I'm in. This like contraption felt dangerous and I had no control over it, even though it's technically like the innovation of transport. Right. Yeah. So that, that aspect kind of characterizes that um, a sort of inclination to overvalue technology and innovations by mankind, humankind over just the very simple things, which is we have been equipped with the ability to move ourselves with our legs and feet. Mm -hmm. yes and of course when you're in that car you're going into town so you're mm -hmm. not going into the woods you're going back into town nice. so something in this process keeps driving you back into town into the right. very kind of society and values which you have rejected right so there's a real conflict here for you between this place where you're just deeply embedded with the rhythms of nature, your wholeness can exist there in this little cabin outside of town. Mm -hmm. And yet you find a way to get into a really not very safe car to get back to town. So there's like, I want to be in town and engaging with that realm. And I don't want to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the gray man in the dream, the man with gray hair in the dream. Um, he's part of this landscape. Mm -hmm. He's going into town, but he also belongs to the valley. Mm -hmm. So who is the man with gray hair? Yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not familiar with him in the dream. And if he feels distant um, and that, I've like very clearly need the help. I mean, of all three of them, the Katie, her husband and their daughter to connect with him. So yeah, definitely a part of myself that I, I do not know at this stage. Hmm. Okay. I suggest you try to talk with him a little bit and get to mm -hmm. know him. Now he has gray hair. Can we assume that he's elderly? Mm -hmm. That's the, 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 that's how I felt in the dream is that he's an older man. Mm -hmm. So how would this old man kind of contrast with the heroic Jason Bourne, for example? Sorry, Jason, <laughs> to keep using you as an example. Well, I mean, in the eyes of the, you know, Hollywood's audience, he would be the antithesis of the Jason, the proverbial Jason, because mm -hmm. Hollywood tends to associate um being older with being more frail or weak or 
perhaps needing more bathroom breaks as we've, you know, concluded. <laughs> oh, definitely more bathroom breaks if he's an old man. Yeah, as Jason takes none, I'm sure um, this old man makes up for it. But and yet, like contrasting to what another part, and I'm, and I'm sure part of me believes that, right? Like there's, mm -hmm. I grew up with Hollywood as being a major influence on my psyche. And yet another part of me knows that traditionally being an elder comes with wisdom and and the kind of teachings that we need to connect to that that house in the forest that we want to come home to mm -hmm. which is coming home to yourself yeah 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 mm -hmm. self being self with a capital s as in the jungian ideation of self which is mm -hmm. our our wholeness mm -hmm our intimate connection with our psyche, you know, in an aware way. Mm -hmm. So you're familiar with the wise man archetype, yeah? I mean, yes, but maybe you could. Well, they show up in dreams and stories and movies and whatever. They show up in our kind of body of, of literature, human literature, as really the wise character, the, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit like the wizard or magical. So they have something that the hero doesn't have. Mm -hmm. They right, have age and right. experience. They've stopped caring whether anybody knows if they have to go pee every half hour. So they, and they can ask for help. Mm -hmm. So somehow he's there in this place you're trying to get to this fellow with wisdom and experience. Now he's a man, so that would be, he would have something to do with your energetic living, like how you are being and living and doing in the world. Mm, right, the masculine. The masculine energy, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would maybe take some time to do some journaling about him, maybe draw a picture of him you know, try to get into relationship to who he is because it sounds like you don't know him very well. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. So get to know him a little bit better because he knows something about living outside of town. He's mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Now, is he in the car with you when you're driving? No, I, I don't meet him in the dream at all. Um, in this dream, he is apparently in the university somewhere and i woke up before we ever found him um, okay. yeah so you might want to know what he's doing in the university what's his mm -hmm. interest yeah he lives on the outside of the town in the forest and yet he has to come to the university so how is he connected to both realms mm. which would speak a little bit to how you are connected mm -hmm. to both realms mm -hmm. and also it might be worthwhile considering or reconsidering your relationship to university mm. maybe part of your wholeness might require an experience with that i mean you've helped me do some of that work over the years in terms of you know I grew up very much completely in, in enmeshed in 
you know, that proverbial university, which is, let's say, the mainstream world. And um, and then I did a big 180 where I rejected, like categorically rejected everything. I mean, a good example is is the world of pharma. You know, just thinking that all of it is bad. The whole thing is evil. And um, I can't think of the specific example, but I know that over time, a lot of that has softened in me that not only is there a time and place for anything, but more so like, who am I to say what another person's path needs for their growth without, you know, needing to label things as being good or bad or placing judgment on an entire institution. Um, yeah. Well, what we reject wholesale becomes our shadow. Right. It falls into the unconscious and right. we defend against it. So we can't, we can't understand how it fits into the picture of our wholeness. Right. So it becomes necessary to live in this house in the woods where we can feel whole to, to investigate more closely with a little bit more wisdom what it is and why we are rejecting so when we're 17, 18, 19, we just know that we don't like it. Right. It us. But we don't know enough about ourselves or the world to, to really deepen into the, in, the sort of the, the finer nuances of, of why we don't like it and why we're rejecting it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes to revisit those things that we've rejected wholesale, to examine them, mm -hmm. um, examine our assumptions, examine our prejudices, examine our kind of failed hopes or envy or whatever it is that comes up as we examine it, we might discover that there is some value in it. Yeah. And we can begin to define more, more with greater discernment where the value is and isn't for us. So yeah. for example, with big pharma, you use that example. Yeah. You know, sometimes an antibiotic will save our life. Right. And maybe we want our life to be saved or maybe we don't. Right. But if we've taken the time to discern where big pharma might be helpful to us and maybe helpful to the world mm -hmm. versus where we feel it wouldn't, that like that's the discernment. Mm -hmm. So the immature personality just puts everything black or white. That's bad. Mm -hmm. This is good. And we, we kind of reject the gray, yeah. the nuances. So, of course, part of our maturation and part of our wholeness depends on us beginning to examine the nuances and let go our biases and prejudice and our unexamined assumptions that they need to be examined. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I, I don't exactly know how to verbalize this yet, but in terms of what we were speaking about of the two layers, right. Of, of, um, I don't, I no longer get triggered consciously by these things like pharma and people's choices to do with their bodies what they want like it it genuinely doesn't it used to really activate me right I would see um like somatic response I would be you know angry or whatever or wanting to get in a debate to convince the other person that they're wrong that part has gone being like the first level but when I really look deeper I still reject the institution mm -hmm. yeah. so mm -hmm. although I'm not 
it's easy to be like, no, I'm like, you know, live and let live. The reality is it's not true. I do reject it. And although it doesn't trigger me, I think that's what I was trying to explain that the subtler parts of me that need help really to be integrated or, you know, to, to, yeah, to integrate them, I guess. It's much more subtle than the obvious, like, oh, you're triggered by that. That's your shadow. It's like, "Mm, yeah, I'm past that. But there's definitely like much more there that. um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, even the pursuit of sort of spiritual awakenedness or consciousness, can it be a heroic pursuit? Definitely. And, And we can become very prideful about how, you know, conscious we are, how awake we are. But is that true? Like, do we, do we sort of swing up into a realm that ele- elevates us above everybody else when mm-hmm. really we haven't looked in the woods for our own wholeness, when we haven't encountered and come to know age and wisdom and value it, mm-hmm. when we come to understand that the mechanisms of the human mind, such as this car that you're driving, are not necessarily the best vehicles for mm-hmm. traversing our life. And um, I do want to give you a quote by Leonard Cohen, but I'm not going to do that in just a minute. But I think also this disabled daughter is a really right. important figure. Mm-hmm. And um, you might want to take some time to really imagine into her and who is she and how is she you? How are you a disabled daughter? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to add a disabled daughter of the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. So how does being a daughter of the patriarchy disable you? Right. And it does. In that same same, like line of thinking, I was going to ask you earlier about connecting with this man, the old man, but it applies to her as well. And perhaps even more because how does one connect with these parts of ourselves when there is such a strong influence from, let's say in this case, the patriarchy. So we're trying to get to know the damaged part of ourself through the lens of something that is still present. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is. And that's a challenge. And it might be a damaged part, but it might just be a forgotten part or right. undervalued part, right? So right. all of those could be true. How do we get to know? I, I I would really do very simple. You just start to identify who is the man with gray hair. You ask yourself that question. You put it mm-hmm. down in a paper. Maybe you meditate into a sort of a, a drawing meditation where you would draw or sketch him and see what arises spontaneously. So don't try to figure it out but just ask the question and see who pops up allow yourself to be surprised and the same thing with the disabled daughter who is the disabled daughter Mm. what does she think or feel or want and and try to draw a picture of her or paint her or dance her right how would a disabled daughter dance to music and try to sort of imagine them in your body and feel them in your life and being and you might notice For example, that ah, when it's hard for me to ask for help in very touchy areas, maybe that's when I feel disabled. Mm 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, or definitely. whatever. So you start to see, yeah. you know, where yeah. where these characters pop up. Um, it, it, there's no like formula for working for it. Um, it's really you just have to. It's called the it's the process of active imagination, and um, it's that you have to go into that character or that space, and you just actively imagine into it, but and let it speak to you, and you have to kind of play. A fantasy with it which is not controlled by your ego or your mind but you mm -hmm. allow it to have its own voice which is why i say you have to allow yourself to be surprised and to see what you come up with mm -hmm. yeah. now i know we're kind of coming up to time but mm -hmm. this whole dream really makes me mindful of of sort of this quest for wholeness and for peace mm -hmm. and there's a lot of the world that's engaged in that, you know, yeah. we're hoping that if we have peace, that the world will change and become the world we want. Mm. And that's a little bit the heroic quest I talk about, like how this sort of movement to spiritual kind of consciousness or perfection is sort of a, a quest we take it on, like a quest. Mm. Uh, but I'm going to invite you to consider something. Um, and it's a quote by Leonard Cohen, and I'm going to put it on the chat for you mm -hmm. to look at. And do you want me to read it to you? Yeah, I would love that. Okay. So this is from his book, Beautiful Losers. It's one of his early publications. I, I believe he was still a student or maybe just shortly afterwards. And the book is the story about a professor of anthropology who's um, investigating um, the story of a saint, Thierry Tikhanawa, who was actually the first beatified saint from Canada. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of a loser. You know, he's a drunk and a philanderer, and, and he's examining the life of this saint. So it was a kind of a very... Um, kind of paradoxical, his life and the life that he's examining. It's a very worthwhile read. Anyways, there's one point where he's trying to examine what is a saint. And he writes, and he talks about a saint as a he, so we have to forgive the, the he-ness of it, but uh, a saint can be any person. So what is a saint? A saint is someone who has achieved a remote human possibility. It is impossible to say what that possibility is, I think it has something to do with the energy of love. Contact with this energy results in the exercise of a kind of balance in the chaos of existence. The saint does not dissolve the chaos. If he did, the world would have changed long ago. I do not think that a saint dissolves the chaos even for himself, for there is something arrogant and warlike in the notion of a man setting the universe in order. It is a kind of balance that is his glory. He rides the drifts like an escaped ski. His course is a caress of the hill. His track is a drawing of the snow in a moment of its particular arrangement with wind and rock. Something in him so loves the world that he gives himself to the laws of gravity and chance. Far from flying with the angels, he traces with the fidelity of a seismograph needle the state 
of the solid, bloody landscape. Mm. Which the solid, bloody landscape is our body. Mm -hmm. It is our what is really real in the moment. What I was going to say right before you read that is that my quest for inner peace is no longer dependent on the outside world, which again, is that like first layer of like, you know, you know, it's about me. It's about my own work. But that second level for me is understanding that it, it's not either a war against myself. Like I, I deeply understand it's not a war against anyone outside, but I've now come to face the reality of like take putting down the sword, like yeah. within. Mm. Right. That we so love the world. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That we understand that we cannot dissolve it. Mm -hmm. And in that place is our peace of mind. Mm hmm and in your dream, you're clearly trying to go there. You're mm -hmm. trying to find that home, that place, mm -hmm. a peace of mind. And along with you comes the disabled daughter and the old man mm -hmm. right there. So who are they and how mm -hmm. are they? Oh, you also have the helpers, which are taking you to your body, of course. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to spend some time with them. Yeah, you might find it helpful. Hey, mm. okay, anything else before we go? No, that was perfect, Geraldine. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Always good. Thank you.